1702 or so, and you're listening to Perpetual Notion Machine on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. We're your hosts, Serena and, and Emily. <laughs> Woo! On tonight's episode of PNM, we are doing Science News Plus, where the plus means anything we want it to. And we're going to jib-jab a lot of science news, uh, PSAs, and other A's, science questions, and we'll see what we get through today. So much. Jib-jab. So much jib-jab. We're just here to say jib-jab as many times as we can. (laughs) Jib-jab. So we could start with a bit of science news from around the world and Madison. Um, So... Apparently, a lot of solar energy is turned into electricity by evaporating water, which I did not know about. And what is a source of water that can evaporate in tiny amounts all the time? Our skin, or more specifically, the sweat on our skin evaporates, and that's water. Um, And a new study from the Institute of Applied Life Science at UMass Amherst reports that they're able to use bacteria to produce electricity from sweat evaporating from skin. What? Um, So that sounds totally wild, but apparently they've actually done something um, similar before in that um, there's this engineered strain of bacteria called Geobacter sulfur reducens. Three guesses as to how it gets its metabolism reducing sulfur um but so they have that has been previously used to make um a bacterial battery um from evaporating water but it needed to be fed because it's alive um but this new research um uses dead bacteria um so they don't need any food (laughs) r.i.p bacteria yeah but apparently it still does its electricity thing um they grow in biofilms so they form these little thin mats and when they connect to each other the different cells can conduct electricity amongst themselves and i guess that infrastructure is just fine once they're dead um so so the bacteria so the bacteria from your skin well doesn't it's like an artificially engineered grown thing and it creates a layer yeah that acts sort of like a solar panel yeah yeah so it will i guess it does something with the evaporation of the water Mm. um now i guess that's the part i don't entirely understand how does it get from (laughs) the water to the electricity um but once it once there is electricity it can um go into electrodes so you have this bacterial film and then there's electrodes on either end and then that can then harvest that electricity to use on devices and it's currently like the size of a band-aid um wow so yeah that can just sit on your skin and harvest electricity and the research group is planning on developing something bigger so it's like a more of a patch size so that they can harvest more electricity for skin wearable electronics whoa yeah (laughs) electronic skin suit (laughs) okay going all the way a hundred percent yes (laughs) down to my fingertips everything i'm a walking robot yeah what could it power through the power of your sweat power my microwave (laughs) (laughs) i could power my microwave annie's mac and cheese (laughs) to fuel more sweat <laughs> more sweat and gas which is probably energy producing yeah. too somehow like right. a, like a cow the suit <laughs> of the future 
<laughs> all of these bio things coming off of us from our Annie's Mac and Cheese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this kind of reminds me of um, the interview with the guest who I had on the show a few months ago, Sunjai Lumier, who was in an atmospheric sciences research department at UW-Madison. And his whole thing was figuring out if there was life on Venus or more specifically life in uh, oh, oh ex- life of extremophiles he called them in Venus's clouds Ooh. so that's bacteria yeah in Venus's clouds and the reason why he thought that there was bacteria in Venus Venus's clouds was because of all of the solar light absorption that happens oh. there <laughs> so it's like they can photosynthesize there's sort of? there's something going on there yeah huh. so they're like fairly close to, the theory is that because there's so much light absorption in Venus's clouds that there's probably bac- bacteria in there oh that's the thought wait so more light is being absorbed than you would expect yes if if there wasn't something doing that something something's doing it oh. yeah what? yeah so they're like pretty close to saying that there's life on Venus oh that's what we were talking about Huh. And it's bacteria. So I thought light absorption was just like it, like you, it bounces off and you see the color and the other stuff is absorbed. But is this, it's, it's is like it a, different it's when like it's bacteria? Heat process, I suppose. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this makes sense. Yeah. That, that, we ha- that bacteria is doing this everywhere, probably. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Wow. I would be an early adopter of this technology. Of the bacterial battery suit. Yeah. Because the other the other technology that I think about a lot is um you know how there are like those giant floor like gym floors or whatever, like playground playground floors that go underneath um swings and stuff. Oh, the and, really bouncy stuff. Yeah. And so, and there's a type of those that's very expensive, but absorbs all of the energy from like kids running around or from you walking across it and it's energy producing oh yeah so like i don't know if i've ever seen one in person myself i'm not sure if i've ever walked across one i feel like maybe there was one like in an airport somewhere oh cool you know that gets like all of the energy of like people commuting and like walking really fast in one small stretch small area so this idea that the people at umass amherst have Kind of reminds me of that, you know, capitalizing on that energy that's just wasted otherwise. Yeah. From your skin or from walking around. Yeah, I would never have thought of walking around as producing energy, but yeah, it totally does. Yeah, I guess it's similar to like, you know, like riding a stationary bike and powering your TV or whatever. Yeah. It's just all that passive energy that goes, typically doesn't go anywhere. Hmm. I support this. <laughs> yeah, it'll be exciting to see where this goes. And I guess we'll stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to have a follow-up on the uh, on the bacteria clothes. Yeah. <laughs> on the bacteria band-aids. <laughs> so do you have any um, oh. interesting news for us? Oh, we have some more. Um, yes. Some more UW-Madison news. So 
a few weeks ago, UW-Madison's own Steve Carpenter won the Blue Planet Prize, which is an annual award given in recognition of outstanding achievements in application of scientific research that have helped provide solutions to global environmental problems. So Steve was the director of the Center of Limnology for many years at what I think was, you know, that amazing building right on Lake Mendota, right next to the terrace. Yeah, that little... It looks kind of half sunken into the ground, which I guess that totally makes sense now that I'm saying that out loud. Oh, I wonder if they have an underwater lab yeah. in there. Into the limb, limb, <laughs> limnos. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> the layer of limnos. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's a word, but <laughs> underworld limnos. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I would absolutely take some sort of easy job there just to hang out in that building all day and stare at the lake that's what i want with my life um but people in that building are doing good important smart things so the reason why steve carpenter won this blue planet prize was because through his research on lake eutrophication uh, from nutrients such as phosphorus and nitrogen, he studied the resilience of lakes using mathematical models, providing a new perspective on social ecological systems. This is what the Blue Planet Prize had to say about Steve Carpenter. He also worked on environmental pollution from phosphorus and nitrogen through land use, showing the critical state of the global phosphorus cycle and the need to review human activity from a broad geochemical viewpoint. So what I found most fun about this Blue Planet Prize, though, was that, do you know who the other person is who won the prize this year? I did just look at her notes, <laughs> but... I was ready for that. <laughs> but someone very distinguished, and I had no idea that um, uh, heads of state this were up for this sort of thing. Oh, from a country we all forgot about, the former king of Bhutan. I guess all that happiness is turning into... Um, Blue Planet so, Advancement. Bhutan is leading the world in happiness. This is His Majesty Wang Chuck. He has the carbon footprints of four wives and ten children to account for, but he is doing something about it. It's about the system. <laughs> we got to make the systemic change. And you know who can make systemic change? Kings. Okay. Also, all of us. Kings. We, we don't have to forget that, but... Kings in particular. Monarchies are leading the charge of, <laughs> the, climate change. of the climate change movement. <laughs> he got the Blue Planet Prize because he introduced the development philosophy of gross national happiness. Oh, it was connected to that. Oh, huh. Oh my gosh, you were guessing? Yeah. I didn't even, it's like that's the thing Bhutan's known for, right? That's so funny. Oh, so you didn't forget about Bhutan. And I also want to immediately apologize for saying that we all forgot about Bhutan. <laughs> So I'm sure some of us haven't. It's just, it's just, I should have just, it's a small, it's a small country, but we love you, Bhutan. Um, so the king, so the former king, Wang Chuck, uh, developed this gross national happiness, which places the well-being of the people at the heart of development activities and programs. Uh, it gives importance to environmental conservation, sustainable and equitable development, and promotion of culture and social values, which contribute to collective happiness. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, like I've seen some local scale things similar to that, like um, like the gift economy stuff, mm. where it's like not about generating capital and 
products and stuff. It's like, what, how are you feeling yeah. in your community? Yeah, it's more about like time. Like yeah, fam- yeah, yeah. A lot of time, <laughs> family time and um, yeah, and happiness, trying to measure happiness. Interesting. Yeah, instead of, um, instead of economic growth, which I think. That's what I, it was I, trying to measure in the first place, probably, right? Maybe. Actually, maybe. I don't know. I don't know the history of the GDP. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. There's there's some balance to be struck there. Yeah. I think. Right? Because, like, um, uh, a random anecdote yeah. that I don't remember the source for, <laughs> but if there's a disaster or something, or maybe not a disaster, but if, for example, you have a lot of hospitalizations, um, GDP goes up because each transaction is, you know, like more economic activity, right? So right, which is yeah. so silly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good example of GDP not being super helpful in for anyone. Yeah, <laughs> although it's it measures what it is trying to measure. Sure. Guess, right. So right. Like in any metric, you you just got to pick the right metric for what you're trying to do. Right. But. Yeah, I wonder if this has been used, if the the gross national happiness has been measured in other countries. Yeah, apparently the UN uses it as a metric somehow. Oh. Yeah. Maybe that's something good. I'm a little cynical on the UN sometimes, but if they want to use the happiness metric to help people out, go for it, UN. Yeah, multiple <laughs> metrics, multiple perspectives. Yeah, so. I mean, certainly... If I was king, if I was king of a small South Asian country, I'd probably be pretty happy with my ten, with my how many wives did I have? Four. Well, heavy weighs the head that wears the crown. Is that what it? What it is? <laughs> it's lonely at the top. Yeah, all, all these things. <laughs> all all these. Yeah, what are those called? Like little. Uh, oh my gosh, little mantras, little. Uh, like Proverbs? Proverbs? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the difference between those words that we just said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could be happy anywhere there. I could be happy happy anywhere, though. I could be happy being king yeah. of the country, or I could be happy working at the yeah, limnology the lab. Limnology. Wow. Mm. That's a happy spot. Yeah. Oh, you know, another connection to an old episode, um, yeah. if folks are interested in limnology, I interviewed, um, oh, Grace, I think. Wilkinson, uh, who's a professor at the Center of Limnology now. Um, she's a more recent join. Um, but she works on eutrophication and looking at um, long-term trends um, of things like phosphorus going into the system. And yeah, that was a fun episode. So if you're interested, you can check that out. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, congrats to Steve Carpenter. Yeah, and congrats. <laughs> yes. Go, Steve. Go, king of bhutan <laughs> cool well i guess kind of a segue into water systems perfect uh, perfect in that sometimes water uh might have phosphorus well of course it always does um and sometimes water might have some pfas which are also known as forever chemicals um and you might have heard some stuff about those lately i think they're kind of getting more airtime. But so PFAS stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, and they're used in all sorts of stuff, like firefighting foams, nonstick coatings. Um, There's an extra P in there. <laughs> P- P- 
Papifas. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Parent Polly and Polly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they're they're in all sorts of things in your in your nonstick pans, in like uh, water resistant coating on clothing, flame retardants, all sorts of things, um, and they are really hard to break down naturally because of the chemical structure. Um, and because of that, they accumulate where they end up, like in water, soils, tissues of living creatures, such yeah. as humans. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. they've been linked to cancers of the liver and kidney and developmental issues and all sorts of other health problems. Um, and breaking them down is really hard um, because of the way their bond, the chemical bonds are in these molecules. And um, it takes a lot of energy and work and reagents uh to break them down uh, which usually isn't happening um because a normal water treatment center isn't going to be able to do something like incinerate um all the pfas that they're able to filter out um and that uses a lot of energy and if it doesn't work out if it's not successful then it can end up leaching into the soil and water but um some new research um, from a group in Northwestern University, so I guess our neighbors, um, oh, yeah. they find that a combination of some really common solvents, so DMSO and sodium hydroxide, if you're familiar, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. if you put them in boiling water, um, so boiling water being less uh, resource intensive to get to you know, boiling temperature than incineration temperature, um, that mix was able to break down some PFAS chemicals. So the ones that um, contain a carboxylic acid group that can be removed. I, I'm just saying that. I'm not really sure what that means. But um, so that can come off. And then the remaining stuff that's left over is just fluorine ions and naturally occurring carbon oxygen compounds. So these can be dealt with much more easily than you know, PFAS in its normal entirety. Wow. So this is really exciting. It's, you know, it's a pretty straightforward way to potentially, well, to start breaking these down. They did this in lab experiments, so they haven't done it at scale yet, but their proposed solution is that, you know, water treatment plants and places like that can filter out the PFAS. Um, and then normally, then you'd have a ton of this stuff that lasts forever. Um, but now you can use this, you know, soapy reagent combination in boiling water and then and then it's broken down and then you can just deal with those products much more easily. So, right. So, and, and by that we mean like, you know, what do you do with a, pan, with a nonstick pan when you're done with it? Where does it go? Yeah. So if you take it to the landfill, yeah. you know, like the bits that come off will eventually leach out yeah throughout the landfill and then it might come out of the landfill depending on how well it's sealed at the bottom or we're at the top um right yeah so i don't know i mean it's in all sorts of stuff i think there's more um restrictions on what it can be used in nowadays um in in the eu and i don't know where we are here yeah on, on things like that but um yeah. Why why are they always ahead of us over there? Yeah, they're thinking about the well-being of people. Yeah, <laughs> chemicals and stuff. They're on it. Their chemical teams are just on it. Yeah. In the EU and with like sunscreens and stuff. Right. Yeah, that you had a whole episode on sunscreens. Yeah. Yeah. And like I mean this this is so important because like it it also well, I was going to say cuz you know, it can come off on your food too but i guess what we're talking about is like when because you probably wouldn't like 
break down anything before your grilled cheese gets to you but if you're drinking it in your water because this does end mm. up in groundwater too i see i see yeah so you might just be getting it in your pipes oh and then yikes drink it straight in and yeah. then it goes in your cells and i'm not really sure what exactly it happens i mean the liver and kidney cancers makes me think it then builds up in the parts of your body that does filtration of stuff yeah and then doesn't break down so then maybe um maybe this can be incorporated as some sort of in, in like a water filtration at some point yeah i think it would probably have to be at the municipal level or something yeah yeah if you get wastewater or wherever water is collected from yeah then you yeah i guess i don't know what it would take to filter out the pfas in order to you know you wouldn't want to boil everything (laughs) that would be too much energy right but yeah to get it out and get it to a concentration where it's you know cost effective to boil it with the solvents and just have a heck of a Brita filter. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Brita actually, um, that reminds me, they have a program where they recycle those filters. Oh. Yeah. What do they do with them? I think they turn them into like, it was, it's through TerraCycle. So like. Uh, why does that sound familiar? What else do they do? They do, uh, they do a whole range of little product recycling programs. So like even like Taco Bell sauce pack packets have like a little TerraCycle symbol what? on them. And you can, like, send your Taco Bell sauce packets back to TerraCycle. How do you make sure that every last drop of sauce is out of there? Because isn't that the whole thing where if you have any sort of food contamination on your recycling, then it messes up the machines that sort them? Yeah, I think they I think they have, like, very specific processes for very specific products. Okay, so if you get a shipment of only Taco Bell hot sauce... <laughs> one level of hot at a time per shipment then you can really deal with it in bulk mild gets processed in january yeah hot hot gets processed in february you can't mix them up so yeah so companies like partner with TerraCycle to sign up to do these recycling programs and then and then yeah to answer your question um the things that are done with them are like often creating like other plastic products like like maybe using it as like plastic pellets for something for like padding or whatever mm. or something that goes in walls or whatever that you wouldn't it wouldn't be like another consumer like a typical consumer facing product that you would buy okay. um it'd probably be something that's used in like construction or flooring interesting yeah so it has a second life but one that a lot of a lot of products can have a second life through recycling like brita like brita water filters huh. yeah if they happen yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty big if yeah. yeah yeah i haven't sent in any yet i still i've just collect my brita filters in my closet oh <laughs> i just keep things in the hopes that one day i can recycle them yeah everything that you didn't drink yeah. is waiting there yeah <laughs> Ah, yeah, I had not really thought about them in their own category. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's so many parts of everything to break down. Mm-hmm. Like a nonstick pan or a Brita filter. Like you have the handle, you have the metal, and then all the chemicals in the coating. Right. And they're all, they all need to be separated. I mean, you could say that, that about like I mean, so separating. many different things. Yeah. I mean, there's like in some places like, in Germany, for example, they, they're they really good about yes. having the recycling separated, right? And and it's also the culture because people really 
do it and in japan for example also it's like you have a chocolate bar or something and people are really diligent about taking off the metal part from the paper part and like throwing it into the different containers that are provided everywhere yeah but if you have a pan or something yeah you're not going to separate it yourself right exactly yeah yeah, and, and in those places, you probably get fined, too. I know in Germany, you'll get fined oh. if, you, if you if you don't recycle things right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's also a motivator. Yeah, less <laughs> chance of messing it up for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, should I skip down to the one question that I came in with, t- one science question that I came in with today that I really want to oh, talk sure. about? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. We only have a few minutes left. I'm very um, curious. My question was, okay, today I was walking behind um, on the bike path, behind mickey's tavern which is on the isthmus and i noticed one of those big spider web looking things in a tree where like a whole branch like a large branch looks like it has a giant spider web around it with like fruit and like old dirty leaves in it oh. yeah it's not attractive looking is at it all like multiple layers deep yeah it is like it looks like a thick cobweb Huh. yeah and like i've seen i've seen a lot of those around okay i haven't seen any but i have heard that there are more spiders on the isthmus than elsewhere they're pretty icky so knowing that we were doing this show tonight oh so i stopped and i took i took a picture of one Ooh, and okay, I ta- well, we can put that on the, the um, <laughs> thumbnail for this episode oh gross <laughs> i'll send it to you but it's so gross yeah so i was talking to a man so a man walked by me and he was like, what are you looking at? And I said, I think, I think something's very happy living in that, living like in that branch. And he was like, oh, do you think it's a caterpillar? And oh. do you, and do you think that's a walnut? And I was like, these are not two things that I would ever have guessed. But apparently I think he's right. They're not spiders. Oh. It's a tree pest, either web worms or tent caterpillars oh tent caterpillars they are major economic um, disaster disasters yeah <laughs> yikes oh, okay okay yeah i just looked it up so i think it's, it's pretty webby probably not good yeah to see these and now now i'm gonna dislike them for a different reason interesting okay maybe we can find out um what can be done about yeah those. i'm on the davy tree website <laughs> you know the day you know the company davy tree no oh, i'm not sure if it's, it might just be an east coast thing i'm not sure but they're always like driving around long island where i'm from you know they're, they're, they're just a big company that does like tree trimming and stuff and like you know pet uh sprays like tree sprays so they say they lay eggs in the winter and hatch in spring um you'll so you'll spot most you'll spot these web worms most often in fall they oh, think oh it's coming up uh-huh. yeah. look out look yeah. out for those tent caterpillars <laughs> and how to get rid of them here we go davy tree for the win um use a broom <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what a plus advice yeah okay so i don't know how you know tree health management for municipal trees works but maybe we can all be good neighbors and rip these off when we see them get, i don't know get your brooms, i don't know then get what you. i don't want to touch it yeah i bet it would be fine if you touched it put but, it in a landfill yeah but i don't know sometimes caterpillars have um 
you know, irritating hairs and stuff. So I wouldn't recommend touching a caterpillar, Ooh, but maybe, no, no. yeah, a broom. Broom, if you happen to have a broom. Get your broom. Get your broom out and go poking, poking some webs around Madison. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's just about wraps us up <laughs> on that <laughs> note that's um, it <laughs> this has been perpetual notion machine up next is radio literature um you're listening to wrt 89.9 fm medicine and i'm serena this was emily see you next time <laughs>